Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. So good to be with you this third week of Advent. It's getting exciting. We're getting closer every day to the birth of our Savior, relived every single year. In fact, we don't just relive the miracle of Christmas, but the entire liturgical year, we walk with our Lord through his entire life. It's so, so wonderful. And it's so real because God is indeed present with us. And he's born in a manger in order that he might be born in us. And um, we delight. And what we've been doing this week is reading uh, from a little book called The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus. And I suggest that you might even get this for your family or Christmas gifts by Reverend Daniel A. Lord S.J. It has the imprimatur from the church from 1954. And it's a wonderful book. And The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus. Is there a Santa Claus mom, dad? There is. There is a Santa Claus. He started out as a, as a bishop, St. Nicholas. So St. Sancta Nicholas, Claus, Santa Claus. And to know who St. Nicholas was, it's our heritage. His feast day is December 6th. And every, every child, every Catholic should know who Santa Claus is, who St. Nicholas is, and what he did in distributing gifts to children and helping the poor. This is a little reading from the breviary about St. Nicholas. Nicholas was born in the famous town of Patras in Lycia. He came in answer to the prayers of his parents. From infancy, amazing signs of his future sanctity appeared. For while he was still an infant, though he nursed in the fashion of other children, on Wednesday and Fridays, he abstained until evening. Now, this is a little baby uh, feeding from his mother's breast, and he abstained on Wednesdays and Fridays until evening. This is this is just unheard of. It's too precious. He abstained until evening, a practice which foretold the constant fasting of a lifetime. As a young man, he lost his parents and thereupon gave his fortune to the poor. Here is a shining instance of his generosity. A poor man with three daughters had no dowry to make possible their happy marriage, and he felt they might be forced to lead a life of shame. When Nicholas learned of this, during the course of the night, he threw through the window sufficient money to marry off one of the girls. He did the same on succeeding nights for the second and the third daughter, and all were happily and successfully married to good men. When he had given himself completely to God, he made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land to visit and venerate the holy places. During the course of his travels, he was journeying by ship under a serene sky and over a tranquil sea. Nonetheless, he foretold that a terrible storm impended. Soon it came, and all were in the most frightful danger. 
but the saint prayed and the storm miraculously calmed. Returning home, he manifested the most unmistakable signs of high sanctity. It was God's providential warnings that sent him to Myrna, the metropolis of Lycia, at the time when the bishop had just died and the bishops of the district were gathered to elect a successor for the metropolitan see. As they were consulting about a fit choice, a divine inspiration struck them. Let them choose that man who on the morning of the following day would first enter the church, provided his name was Nicholas. They accepted the divine impulse, and the next morning, at the door of the church, Nicholas felt himself seized with the highest approval of all. He was made Bishop of Myrna. In his Episcopal office, he displayed a chastity for which he had long been famous, a seriousness of purpose, continuous prayer, generosity and hospitality toward the poor, a gentleness of exhortation, and a severity toward wrongdoing that was uninterrupted. His care of the widows and orphans extended to money and guidance. Three military officers, condemned through false testimony by Constantine Augustus, turned to him in prayer, trusting to the reputation he had for wonder-working. Though they were far from him, and he from the emperor, the emperor saw him pleading and threateningly in the cause of the off and threatening in the cause of the officers and freed the innocent man. Contrary to the edicts of Diocletian and Maximian, he preached the Christian truth in Myrna. So the spies of the emperors arrested him and carrying him to a far spot saw him in prison. He remained in prison. This is Santa Claus, beloved. He remained in prison until the time of Constantine the emperor, by whose order he was snatched from prison. He returned immediately to Myrna and hurried on the council, hurried on at the council of Nicaea. There with other fathers of the church, he condemned the Arian heresy. Hardly had he returned to his Episcopal see when knowing that death was near, he looked up toward heaven, saw the angels hurrying to meet him, and said this psalm, quote, In thee, O Lord, have I hoped even to this spot. Into thy hands I commend my spirit, end quote. And with these words, he took his flight to the heavenly fatherland. His body was transferred to Bari in Apulia, where it is venerated with great reverence. That is the man who was really Santa Claus and St. Nicholas. And parents, you need to get this book and read it to your children. Read it to your family. They should know this. It's their heritage. The book goes on to explain that the ancient author who wrote this fluid little record for us priests to read once a year. For priests, beloved, I'm reading it to you. It was for priests to read once a year. Mixed history and tradition and fact and legend 
without any effort to differentiate. The famous golden legend of the Middle Ages is more explicit with the historical details. When the young Nicholas was born in Patras, he delighted the heart of rich and holy parents. Ep- um, how do I? Epiphanes, Epiphanes, his father, and Johann, his mother, but he was their first and only child, for from the time of his birth they lived together in complete continence, dying very young and leaving him their wealth. Wonders clustered around his early days. Runs the legend, the first day he was washed and bathed, he stood himself right up in the basin. Listen to this, beloved. The first day he was washed and bathed, he stood himself right up in the basin, an achievement which delighted his parents, I am sure, and gave the painters an endless subject for their pictures of the tiny saint. And here is one of those paintings. Look at this. St. Nicholas, the first time he was bathed, can you see that? Stood up in the basin before his parents, this tiny little thing just stood straight up before children can even walk. Okay, now let me find my my place. Um, he would not take his mother's breast, but once on Wednesdays and fl- Fridays, and in his youth, he avoided, he would not take his mother's breast, but once on Wednesdays and Fridays, because as a tiny baby, still suckling at his mother's breast, he was fasting. And in his youth, he avoided the games and nonsense of other small children. That early practice of fasting deeply impressed the medieval mind. And loving games and sports as they did, the men and women of those days vastly admired the youngster who made life so merry for others, while he himself Forswore youthful gaiety in a spirit of real sacrifice. Once he came into his money, he set himself to do what the other rich young man had failed to do. He followed the invitation of the Savior, gave his goods to the poor, and himself to the service of God and his fellow men. The pilgrimage which he made was not too arduous, since he lived in Asia Minor with the Holy Land almost at his back door. But his choice as bishop of the Metropolitan See of Myrna, M-Y-R-A, Myra, not Myrna, Myra, made him one of the earliest of the boy bishops. There was certainly drama in this unexpected choice. The grave assembly of the bishops of the province praying and fasting as they beg God's indication of his choice, the voice of the wise old bishop telling of his vision that God would send them the perfect vision when they assembled for matins in the church. Their prayer, their waiting in a cluster at the door of the cathedral, looking to see who would come down the street at that early hour. And look at this picture of Nicholas on his way, on his way to early Mass.
As an eternal incentive to early risers, it was Nicholas, the very young man who rose in the dark of the morning and hurried off to church for prayer and morning mass. You see, beloved, this is what your children need to know about Santa Claus, the man they call Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, who did give gifts, who did give to the poor, who did good to others. You can just see the excitement of the bishops as the young fellow comes swinging down the street. Will he pass by or turn into the church? Up the stairs he trots, bent on his matutinal devotions. That's Matin, his morning devotions. The bishop of the vision catches him by the arm. Everything depends upon the answer he receives for the voice in his dream had not indicated just any young man coming to early Mass, but a young man named Nicholas. Youth, what is your name, the bishop asks. You can almost feel the silence. I'm reading this and I have goosebumps. You can almost feel the silence as they wait for the answer. John, Peter, Barnabas, or my name is Nicholas. He answered respectfully not guessing the consequence of his simple answer. And apparently without much explanation or any question of by your leave or if you have a vocation, the lucky bearer of the name of Nicholas was swept along by the assembled bishops and the metropolitan city of Mira was given its most famous guardian and the world one of its favorite saints." The delight of the city is symbolized by the near misadventure of one mother hearing the news as she is bathing her baby. She rushes off to see the new boy bishop, leaving her baby in a basin of water near the fire. The water in her absence reaches a boil. Oh, no. But when she returns, the baby, deep in the scalding water, is cooing and gurgling, absolutely unharmed. Nicholas would not permit a baby to be hurt because its mother had hurried to do him obedient homage. How amazing, hmm? Here's a picture, beloved, of the bishops waiting to see who would come into Mass at that early hour. There it is. Can you see it? Let's see. I have to figure out how to how to do this. There it is. Um, there it is. And there's Nicholas right there. Let's see. How can I point him out? Boy, I'm not good at this. There's Nicholas right near the... Right there. Nope. Can't do it. Right there. That's Nicholas with the bishops. What is your name, young man? It's Nicholas. The people of the Middle Ages often suffered from real boy bishops, youngsters thrust into posts of responsibility long before they were able to bear the burdens of office. Yet they loved the idea of a gay and innocent youth decked out in the Episcopal robes. Probably remembering Nicholas, the greatest of the boy bishops, they would at the Christmas time select a favorite acolyte or choir boy, outfit him in all the vestments of a bishop, 
and set him to reign for a day or so over the diocese. We have somewhat the same custom. When a Boy Scout today is chosen to act for a day as mayor of a metropolitan city, only their boy bishops always held their brief rule under the smiling patronage of the boy bishop, Nicholas of Mira. With the coming of the Roman emperors into the church had come a dread enemy, Arianism, the denial of the divinity of Christ. Hence, it was that the Council of Nicaea was of extreme importance, and St. Nicholas's presence there highly significant. He was well known as the enemy of the old pagan gods. Once he himself tore up a grove of Diana and snatched her temple from the ancient goddess, whom he regarded as an evil trick of the devil. Indeed, his imprisonment, of which the breviary makes mention, was punishment for his assault on the ancient gods and goddesses, for the laws against Christians remained long on the books and recurrent flare-ups of persecution were possibly until Constantine gave freedom to the church. The Council of Nicaea, however, leveled its excommunication against Arius, whose followers today, under a hundred different names, are still all too numerous. Nicholas, with the other Orthodox bishops, defended the divinity of Christ against those who reduced Christ to the level of mere exalted humanity. It is pleasant to see the dear saint who would be so closely associated with the Christ of Christmastide, now defending him against those who would strip Christ of his divinity and Christmas of its real meaning. Here's a sketch of Constantine right here. How do I do this? Right here. Um, Giving freedom. Giving freedom to the church. I'm not very good about putting this in the camera. This is a wonderful book, beloved. But busy as he was with the council, legend insists that Nicholas had time for a miracle that made him patron saint of mariners. At the council, battled as the council battled against heresy, a small merchant ship battled against the waves of a furious storm. The captain, a man of faith as well of seamanship, had heard had heard of the Bishop of Myra and his miraculous power, and the fact that unlike the Lord asleep in Peter's endangered craft, the bishop was leagues away, deterred him not in the least. Across the distance, the captain sent his petition. We've heard what you can do, Bishop. We've heard your prayer, your power with God. Well, now's the time to show us We are lost without a miracle. May we have a miracle, please. And without interrupting the course of the council, Nicholas obtained the miracle. 
So now the battered ship rode the instantly quieted sea back to safe port. Mariners never forgot the miracle, and St. Nicholas became the saint whose image most frequently was nailed to the masthead of sea-going ships. Here's a picture of St. Nicholas um, saving the embattled ship. These illustrations are wonderful, beloved. Though St. Nicholas knew imprisonment for the faith, see, but a good, holy man, and yet he was imprisoned for his faith, beloved. He missed martyrdom, a fact which must have disappointed him. He wanted martyrdom. It is a little surprising that in an age when the church was rich in martyrs and blessed with these great apologists for the faith who became known as the fathers of the church, this simple bishop, who did not die in spectacular fashion and who wrote nothing that has come down to us, took his instant place among the favorite saints of his own age and ours. What he was was a great lover of humanity. He was a gay and gallant servant of the servants of God. His life was a long lesson in charity. He set so bright an example of kindness and generosity that his own times loved him and the future never could forget him. He was exactly the right type of saint to become the patron of children and the embodiment of the spirit of Christmas giving. For this lovely tradition, we can thank the legends, and to them now we turn. I tell you, beloved, this is truly wonderful, truly wonderful. And I say now, the next time you bring your children to a big department store and they go and stand online to see excuse me, to see Santa and to sit on his knee. Your children need to know this story and they need to to lead the Santas in department stores to the true Santa, to the true St. Nicholas, to worship the true God. And if our children know that, they won't climb up on his knee and say, this is what I want for Christmas They'll climb up on his knee and say, do you know who Santa Claus is? They'll say to Santa Claus, do you know who Santa Claus is? Do you know who St. Nicholas is? And do you know that he reached out in the poor, to the poor? And Santa, that's what I want for Christmas. I want to be able to give food and money and clothing to the poor. Would you help me? You see, that's what you need to ask Santa so that you can imitate the true Santa Claus this Christmas, and every Christmas. And maybe lead Santa Claus in department stores to real salvation (laughs) in Christ. And maybe find out who he is imitating Santa Claus. And it goes to a few legends about St. Nicholas. Um, And it says, in a way, legends are the poetry of history. They are an expression of the spirit of the historical character. Around the stark facts that make up the life of a great man 
and the prosaic work of day following day. His contemporaries build up a sort of aura, an atmosphere, a spirit more characteristic of the man than his actual deeds as history record them. You know how we tell church history and every once in a while we say, there's a legend that this happened, there's a legend that that. Do we know if it's true? We don't know. It's a legend. It could be very true and it could be um, kind of made up from a series of happenings that may have been recounted in an inaccurate way. But there's historicity behind these legends. These legends are the stories that passed from mouth to mouth. These who received the hidden favors of some generous, excuse me, um, these um, who received the hidden favors of some generous man told one another half in secret, always in grateful appreciation. The things which the great man had not the time to write, he mentioned casually to his friends and acquaintances who passed them along for the enlightenment of others. Legends are the things which people remember of the great man's boyhood, the sudden flashes of his humor, the casual deeds that illustrated his character, the kindnesses he performed in the hope that his right hand would not know what his left hand did. I'm finding this so beautiful, beloved. I hope you are too. And if you don't have the book, you could listen to the podcast at the Station of the Cross or later on LifeSite News, and your whole family could sit down and hear the stories of the wonderful, true St. Nicholas, the real Santa Claus. There's our music for the break, beloved. We'll be right back. Is there a program you heard at a particular time that you'd like to learn more about, but you don't know the title or how to find it? Our online programming grid offers a complete list of shows. Just visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Programs tab at the top of the page. Here you'll find the link to our programming schedule. That's at thestationofthecross.com. The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. It is the daily prayer of the Church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. For details about each hour or more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Confusion on matters of faith and morals is widespread, even within the church. It can be disheartening, with clergy celebrating gay pride masses, the Pope considering allowing women to become priestesses. It is easy to lose sight of the true teachings of the church. LifeSite News Catholic can help. We are a clear, trustworthy news source that is dedicated to the teachings of the church. We, as the laity, have a duty to know and defend our faith and tradition. In order to do so, we must be educated on the teachings of the church and on the truth about current events and developments within the church. Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook and Twitter or sign up to receive our emails by going to LifeSiteNews.com in order to maintain your clarity and peace in the midst of chaos. Amen. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We've got a whole half hour together. Now, this is, program is brand new and fresh. But uh, I'm traveling this week, and I pre-recorded these programs just before I left for Advent and just for you. So we cannot take your live calls today, but certainly your emails we can and texts that you've already sent in. And continue to feel free to email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, "I hope you are hi, mother. I hope you're enjoying the season." You mean a lot to me. I see you as my mother, really. My own mother left. Anyway, thank you for your efforts. Well, thank you, dear one. And she writes, recently, via the Internet, I have become, in quotes, pink-pilled about men. The movement is oppositional to liberal feminism. It is a sub-called pink-pilled feminism about 5,000 other women have also joined the online movement. It has severely disturbed me and given me de- despair. Well, I don't know about it. I'm so sorry. I will look it up, but I, I've never heard of this before. Uh, the pink-pilled movement or pink-pilled feminism. She says, I don't want to, but I feel extreme disgust growing for men as a whole. Oh, dear. I know God would not want me to feel this way about his creation. It just seems impossible not to when the facts tell me I should avoid men at all costs. The facts? What is this? I constantly get pulled back from what feels like an illusion when I try to view a man as innocent until proven guilty or as an individual. The worldview presented on that sub, a sub, I don't know what that is, seems undeniable, inescapable. How can I respect a man as an individual again if generally most men view women as something to degrade? I have never dated, but this new perception and she has 21 in brackets, maybe she's 21 years old, Um, but this new perception has made me consider never having a husband and idealizing female separatism. I need to adore the concept of a helpmate. I thought it was beautiful that both genders needed each other, but now I feel like any woman that involves herself with a man is highly likely to be abused. It would be amazing to me if I could marry a man with the moral character of the man from Hacksaw Ridge. I'm not looking for Mr. Tall, dark and handsome, just someone to respect and cherish. It feels impossible to willingly trust a man at all, let alone practice biblical submission, even though I do believe that it is best for the family. It feels like if there was a godly man for me, he would be he would just be overthrown by the average male. 
Why do you think other women like me might feel this way? I want to believe differently. Please advise. Thank you, Mother. Stay safe. Much love and appreciation. Well, I tell you what, this is really a a bit of a drastic message for me to read. I will look up pink-pilled feminism. I don't know what it is. Why do you think other women like me might feel this way? Well, I haven't met too many women like you, dear one. I haven't met too many women who feel this way. Um, Not about men in general. Any woman who was truly raised in a Catholic home with Catholic morals, Catholic values, Catholic teaching, Catholic friends, and Catholic uh, church uh, organizations would know that there are thousands of good, upright, moral, heroic men. Um, Whatever you're reading is uh, people are trying to make a certain stereotype out of men as if they're animals, if, if, as if they're degraded, and they think all women are degraded. It's not true. It's not true. Um, many women degrade themselves, and men lose respect for them because they dress as if they're prostitutes. They, they go outside half-naked. And so how could a man have respect for that? Um, the women have degraded themselves, and they're letting the men know that they are unholy and to be used as objects. Um, A woman who is proper, who is dignified, who is modest in what she does, in her speech, in her choices of activity, uh, she's not going to have to worry about a man degrading or being improper with her. Um, If you go to proper churches, if you particularly, if you go to the Latin Mass, uh, you're going to meet single young men who are upright, who are godly, who love God, and who dress modestly. So I don't think you're going to find a pink-pilled feminist movement in Latin mass churches, whatever the pink-pilled feminist movement is. I don't know that you'll find them in Novus Ordo churches. I don't think you'll. They're not faithful Catholics. So I don't know what that movement is. But if you have allowed it, dear one to affect your view of men, you have formed your life and your view of men and of humanity based on the enemy's plot to degrade everyone and to ruin God's design. Uh, you're, you're modeling after the wrong thing. If this is the pink-pilled movement, whatever that is, stay away from it. Read books of Catholic saints, of men, of the church fathers, of of the Catholic saints, for young men. Um, Heroic manhood, that's what you need to be surrounding yourself with. Um, If these things have soured and made you fearful of men, um, you've done it to yourself by reading the wrong things, by living in the wrong circles, by absorbing garbage, and by feeding yourself on Satan's plot not on God's magnificent design for marriage and for the human being. So I would say, dear one, um, what? Do, why do you think other women uh, like me might feel this way? Simply because you are feeding on junk. You are feeding on poison. You're, you need to watch what your eyes and your passions and your senses take in. You need to be careful of what you watch, what you hear, what you listen to, what you look at. 
So start filling your life with saints. Um, all right, the, the family that rose Saint Therese, that raised Saint Therese of Lisieux, um, the Martins. Fill yourselves with magnificent saints. Go and and look at homeschool families that have 10, 12, 20 children, and the man doesn't leave it to his wife. They are a family, and the man is the one that disciplines the children and brings them to prayer at night and treats his woman, his woman, his wife, his, his half, his helpmate, as the magnificent, sacred woman that God has made her. You need to see that. You need to surround your life with that. There is the music for our second break, beloved. We'll be right back. Don't go away. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Has a review ever helped you decide if you'll download a particular app or not? Help others decide on our apps. If you appreciate our iCatholic Radio and iCatholic Music mobile apps, please rate and review. From the app menu, just touch Rate Our App. If you don't have our apps yet, they're available for Android and Apple mobile devices. Thank you for considering leaving a rating and review for iCatholic Radio and iCatholic Music. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests as they preach the gospel in the midst of your busy life. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living, weekdays 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. You know, during the break, I tried to look up pink pill feminism Um and I just can't get a solid uh, definition on it. Um, so far, I'm just not able to get that. Um, but it's a definitely looks like a um, 
really radical feminist movement where uh, men are hated. Uh, it, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to spend time looking because I, I don't see a good definition here. So I'll, I'll spend a little time maybe after our program today and take a look at it. But I tell you what, I would never recommend a woman having anything to do with that because um, if you are going to follow movements that put men down, that say that they're animals, that they're dangerous, that they don't respect women, what you're doing is focusing on a percentage of men that have been uh, characterized that way. That's not the men who God created. That's men who have gone wrong in society. Um, it, it's an awful thing. You will destroy God's design for men, for women, for marriage, for vocations. Uh, it's what they're saying is not true. And so you need to read the right things and um, go to the book of Philippians chapter 4, whatever is good and lovely and uh, worthy of good report. Think on those things. Fill your mind with all that is godly. Um, okay, we have a text uh, from someone who writes it anonymously and says, Hello and thank you, Mother Miriam. In addition to how we dress, please discuss makeup. I have always used makeup subtly as part of good grooming. Is this vanity? Thank you for all you do. I learn every day. May God bless you and your ministry. Well, there's probably some vanity involved in any makeup. Um, I personally don't see a problem with it. Maybe I should, um, but I don't. Um, if you're single, if you're uh, even if you're married, if you're not a religious, of course, um, to wear a, just a little bit of makeup, a little bit of very very light lipstick, light a color. Um, something very light so that it looks natural, I don't, I don't think is a problem. Is there vanity in it? Yes, there's vanity in it, right. You want to determine how people see you. You want to appear a little more attractive than your natural features would appear. When I, I used to wear makeup, very, very little. Um, but when, I, of course, I became a sister, I, I just never did again. And... Um, um, it wasn't awkward for me because I was just so ecstatic about being able to wear a veil. But um, uh, I don't see anything wrong in it. Is there vanity? Yes, there's vanity. But um, I really don't think it's inappropriate to to look well um, and to make yourself a bit attractive. I don't think that's a problem um, at all. So people may disagree with me. But um, I, I think it's, I think it's all right. Um, but the way you're doing it, using makeup subtly as part of good grooming, I think it's good. Again, I, I can't get away from the word vanity because we're trying to appear different and a little better than we would naturally appear. I think it is vain, but I, I don't know that it's a harmful vanity. Um, there's nothing wrong with a woman. I think... There's nothing wrong with a woman looking attractive. There is something wrong with a woman looking and being attracting. You don't want to 
make people look at you. Uh, you don't want to stand out like that. You just want to be attractive and to wear the proper clothes and a little bit of makeup, a little bit of jewelry even. I don't see that's a problem. Personally, I don't. We have an email from Daniel who says, Hello, I was talking with my family and we were wondering how many guardian angels each person has approximately. Thanks. Oh, my good Daniel. My goodness, Daniel. I don't know that. I know that we have one and that that one is assigned to us um, when we're in our mother's womb from the moment of our conception to the moment of our death. Uh, throughout our entire life, that angel is with us, whether we know it or not, whether we thank him or not, whether we are half aware of his protection and leading, I don't know. I don't know that we have more than one guardian angel. Uh, there's a book on angels that I recommend. It's published by Tan, and I think it's just called Angels Are All About Angels. It's a little pink book, and it's really outstanding. It goes through um, the scriptural teaching on on angels, mostly from the book of Hebrews as messengers, uh, and how they have protected God's people through all of history, um, and, of course, announced the Messiah to the Blessed Virgin, and so forth. Um, and then the other half of the book speaks about miraculous angel stories. Um, and there, it's a wonderful little book. But, uh, dear Daniel, I cannot answer you more than that. I don't know that we have more than one angel. We may, but I don't know. We have an email from Ranelli. And Ranelli says, Dear Mother Miriam, greetings in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was asked by my sister-in-law to be a speaker of her daughter's confirmation years ago. A speaker? Oh, I'm so sorry. My, my fault. A sponsor. Okay. I was asked by my sister-in-law to be a sponsor of her daughter's confirmation years ago. I wanted to refuse because her parents are not practicing Catholic. So by your sister-in-law to be a sponsor of her daughter's confirmation, which means your sister-in-law and her husband, which it may be your brother, are not practicing Catholics. Even at that time, my niece-in-law was attending a Catholic school. The mother was a recent born-again Christian, and the father seems to be uh, seesawing in his faith, rarely going to Mass with his son or attending worship services of his wife. My niece seems to be confused on matters of faith. She attends worship. Now, again, if, if she was confirmed years ago, then both her parents agreed to re, she agreed at confirmation to be a faithful Catholic, whether her parents raised her that way or not after confirmation. She says, my niece seems to be confused on matters of faith. She attends worship at the born-again church and one time expressed her thoughts to understand her Catholic faith deeper through joining a local youth group. That's great. But that was quelled by the mother. I did not speak about my apprehension to this, but out of charity I decided to accept being her godmother. My heart was saying, should my niece one day find a strong urgency to learn and come back to the Catholic Church, I'm ready to guide her if she wishes. 
Was I wrong not to speak up to the parents about my apprehension? Did I not defend our holy faith, citing that it was wrong to accept the sacrament of confirmation if one cannot practice the faith? Thank you and God bless. Yes, I do think it was wrong um, because if someone is being confirmed, uh, it's not, you know, uh, not because of their parents. They mean they are adults at confirmation and they are taking on the faith of their of their parents or the catholic faith on their own it's it's not the fault of their parents if they're old enough to be confirmed they are old enough to know that they are receiving a greater outpouring of the gifts that they received at their baptism and that they are expected to use those gifts be a faithful catholic Never miss Mass on Sunday, partake in all the sacraments and confession on some form of regular basis. They need to know that. So if you were her godmother or her sponsor and did not affirm that to the parents and to this person, then you would have been failing in your duties, yes. Um, And now we need to do, we've all failed in many things, but now that we think better and believe stronger and know better, we need to do what we can to help. So I would go to your niece and say, you know, I know at one point you wanted to learn more about your Catholic faith and your mother wasn't in favor of that. Would you allow me um, to um, help you into a Catholic youth group or at least meet with me to begin to understand the Catholic faith and see what you can do um, and and see if her parents will be against it uh, but again, if she's under 18, I guess they can have their say, but um, she sh- really should be, if co- after confirmation, um, uh, enabled to uh, make her own decision. What you need to do is go back and read all the prayers and the words of what happens during confirmation and take it to the parents so that they could see what they said and take it to your niece so that she could understand what she said and agreed to at that time. And you could say you may not have understood it, but right now you either need to formally turn from the Catholic faith uh, or you need to find out what it is to decide whether to turn to it from it or not, because right now, my dear one, you're living in sin. You're claiming to be a Catholic through confirmation and baptism, and you're not living the life. You're not in church every Sunday. You're not living according to the sacraments. This needs to be rectified soon. And so either find out what the Catholic faith is, what you said yes to at your confirmation, and live it all the way, or denounce Christ in the Catholic Church. Well, I don't want to do both. I don't want to do either one. Well, you're living in sin. You must do one or the other because the church you're in now uh, is a denomination. The Catholic Church is the true church our Lord established. And if you play with that, if you claim to be Catholic and you're not interested in being a part of it, you're living in very grave sin. You need to make a decision. You're old enough now to make a decision of the life you want to live before God. We have an email from Hector who writes, I just finished writing a book called El Secreto de Mi um, Triunfo y Liberación. I'm sorry, I'm not good in, um, I guess that's Spanish. Um, Hector says, it's about my personal testimony 
um, I guess, the secret of my maybe transformation and liberation. Maybe that's the English. I'm not sure. And Hector says, it is about my personal testimony where I talk about how I lost everything and went to prison. But there God rescued me and healed me of cancer right there in prison. I also talk about some powerful revelations that I had in there and some visions of things that will be happening um, in the future. And this is and this is a very powerful testimony because I also talked about all the abuses that I saw while I was incarcerated. Abuses from the guards and prisoners, too. God has been very generous with me, Mother Miriam, because even though I lost everything and almost got deported, now I have a great business and I was able to stay in the U.S. The question I have, Mother Miriam, is that the Holy Spirit is also commanding me to write about the homosexual activities going on inside the church. I said this because I was informed by a priest of the sexual activities going on in some churches around my city and even in my own parish. The priest in my church is so confident that nobody can do anything that the other day when I went to Mass, the priest talked in the homily of the much of the much fun he had the previous night when he went to a costume spiritual exotic party at an Episcopal church nearby. To miss, This was truly heretical. I am hesitant to put these words in my book, but the Holy Spirit is commanding me through my angel to do it. Well, then I have nothing to say. Hector, if you're sure the Holy Spirit is, ha- is commanding you, then I can't say anything about it. Uh, you need to be sure of that. Please advise me what to do. How can I advise you what to do if God himself is telling you what to do? I want people to read the book because it's very powerful testimony, but I also don't want people to think that I'm attacking my church. Hector, I cannot give you opinion that's greater than what God is telling you to do. If you're telling me that the Holy Spirit, who is God, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, is commanding you through your angel, you don't want my opinion. You need to obey God. If you're not sure of that, if you think it's God's leading, that's another thing. But if you're sure that the Holy Spirit is commanding you through your angel, then I have I have no say. My opinion doesn't matter in that, Hector. So I would say you go to a spiritual director and let him help you with that. Um, I think that's the ending music. It's so soft on my end, beloved, I can't normally hear it. But I think that's it. So we will speak with you tomorrow. God bless you.